MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. On today's episode, my guest is Gustavo Rossetti. Gustavo is a sought-after speaker and workplace culture consultant. He created Fearless Culture to help organizations become purpose-driven, agile, and innovative. Gustavo is also the creator of the Culture Design Canvas. It's a culture mapping tool used by consultants and organizations worldwide, and also the author of the recent book, Remote Not Distant. Gustavo, it's my pleasure to have you with us today. My honor, Chiara. I'm happy to be here and thank you for inviting me. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. Let's get started. First of all, I would like to know more from you. What is a workplace culture consultant? There might be some people not familiar with the term. What do you do and why is it so important? That's a great question. I think that it's still a new discipline. So the point is, everyone knows that culture or says that culture matters and culture is really important, but then in the end, they don't know what we really mean by culture. And most importantly, they don't know what to do to create the right culture. The culture is going to bring the organization in the right direction. So basically my role and my team's role is to help clients understand what's the culture that they have and what's the culture they, des they desire and what's the gap to move from one place to another. The important thing about this design doesn't mean moving from A to B like overnight. Evolving your culture takes a lot of time, but most importantly, we don't start from zero. We start understanding what's currently the culture of a company, what's working, what's not, and building from that. So the designer has a little bit of a, like in any design process, you need to understand your user. In this case, the users are the people, the leaders of the organization, the managers, the HR team and all the employees across the board. So with them in mind, we try to understand what's happening with them, what are the pain points, their gains, and create a culture that's going to help them work together, collaborate together, and get to do great work. Nice. Very, very interesting. Now, I also have to ask you, how would you define the term culture? That's a tricky question. Also, culture, there are many definitions, but for me, most more, more than the definitions about what's the impact of culture. No? So there are definitions like culture is everything we do. People say culture is what people do when no one is watching. <laughs> uh, for me, culture is like a system. So it's the collection of, of course, behaviors, but also the emotions and mindsets that affect how people work. For me, it's the secret sauce to help employees do their best work. So when people are suffering, when people are not performing, it's because culture is getting in the way. When you don't know this culture, it's because the culture is so good that people can work in, in a nice kind of fashion. I talk about emotions because how we feel about ourselves in our workplace, how we feel about our colleagues and the tasks that we do and our leaders, those emotions play a key role. Then there's also the mindset. Do we feel that we are unbeatable, that we are, a, a, or maybe defeatist, or maybe we think that we are a very negative? The mindset, how we filter the reality of the organization plays also a key role. And then what we do, but also most importantly, what we, what we don't do. You know, if we procrastinate, if we avoid conflict, the things that we don't do, those behaviors that we don't embrace also are part of the culture. Yeah, definitely. 
I have to ask you something based on your latest post around toxic culture. Can you share a bit more around what makes a culture toxic and how do I realize that maybe my environment is not benefiting me beyond just feeling uneasy at work? That's a great point. And uh, the, first, we need to separate toxicity from an annoying culture. You know? Sometimes you don't fit in a particular culture. Sometimes it's too stressful, but that doesn't necessarily make it toxic. To get into toxicity, it's after certain sustained behaviors, it becomes something that people don't like. And there, a, a group of authors recently published a study. Uh, they analyzed all the Glassdoor reviews from different employees, different companies, and they identified a couple of elements. You know, they call the five toxic <laughs> ones. So those behaviors have to do when people feel disrespect, both mm -hmm. first as a person, but second as a professional. So if I'm not treated with the right respect, if my opinions are not taken into consideration, if I'm not listened to, if not, I'm not included in decision-making, well, that's part of the what drives toxicity because I start feeling like bad about myself. I don't like my workplace. The second element has to do with a lack of diversity from gender, race, etc. I also add, and this doesn't come from the study, but today, a, a lack of flexibility is another thing that basically is exclusive. So if I'd like to work remotely, if I like to work in a flexible environment, a culture that doesn't allow, take Tesla, that the CEO says, hey, if you want to work remotely, I'm going to fire you. Well, that's a toxic behavior. Uh, there are other <laughs> elements regarding toxicity that has to do with uh, bullying. So when there's an abusive type of behavior, and I feel that basically managers uh, are very harsh, uh, aggressive, uh, they attack their employees and that kind of stuff. So there are many elements that define the, we can get into more of those, but in the end, it, what's important is not one of two, but it's a, there's always like a system. But in the end, uh, one thing that happens is uh, people usually when they see a toxic culture, they blame the leader. And although leaders basically kick off those kind of bad behaviors and then other people copy them, they model the wrong behaviors. That's what drives toxicity. Or they don't do anything when people in the middle management are being abusive or not treating their, their employees with respect. But also the people that are around them, the bystanders, the enablers are also responsible. And that's something people don't want to talk about because it's easy to blame the leaders but if you're in a company and you're not standing up, you're not saying anything, then you're part of that toxic culture. It already did happen. That's a very, very good point, Gustavo. <clears throat> and <a clears throat> apologies, my voice is still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. I, I really also like the differentiation that you made between not being a culture fit and a toxic culture, because I think nowadays everyone is easily saying it's toxic, 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 just because I don't like it. But I think there is also different cultures and forms, and it's more of what serves the purpose of the organization, right? Absolutely. So there are cultures that are aggressive, and uh, that's another element of, of the five uh, toxic uh, factors. But you might not like working in an aggressive culture, so you might join somewhere else. That doesn't mean it's toxic. It's toxic when that aggressive culture becomes so to the extreme that people start a, a, 
uh, attacking each other, backstabbing each other. So it promotes a very individualistic, uh, uh, instead of all one for all, it's one for me, you know, like I'm just trying to achieve my goals. And uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier, it's important, the, what's the reward system? Many times the things that we reward promote that cutthroat behavior. So if we reward people, only if they achieve their individual goals rather than collective ones, then people are going to do whatever it takes to get their bonus. So there's a, a, a recent episode, now it's called the, the Uber Files, when one of the former lobbyists basically came as the, the, the whistleblower. First, he shared the files and a couple of days ago, this is very recent, he talked to the Guardian, the the British newspaper, and basically said, "Hey, I was I was the one who shared the files," and he acknowledged that he was an enabler. He did lots of stuff that weren't right, trying to uh, curve the governments to 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 let Uber uh, basically operate in countries and was forbidden. No? so he recognized that stuff, and basically he said, "Well, I was rewarded to make whatever it takes." No, there was the hustle culture of. Just do it, let it happen at any cost, and people did it. Yeah. I, I really love this point that we can't just blame it on the leader, but we're all responsible for the culture and the environment that we're in. So if I'm really upset with my environment, there might be small steps that I can take as individual, which then start to have a bigger impact, like a ripple effect, you know, if more team members join and adapt their mindset and behavior towards the better, right? Yeah, that's a great point. And I know it's hard for people because people always feel, oh, I'm not the leader. I don't have the power, whatever. But I hear this from like employees with one year of experience, but people that have been working with 10, 15, 20, everyone has a boss. No, Even the CEO yeah. of a large corporation has stakeholders and a board of directors. They have to. So it's an easy excuse to say, I don't have the power because there's someone. I always said, focus on what you can control. You have power uh, within your influence, within your circle of influence. So if you complain about someone doing something wrong rather than try to promote a counterproductive behavior, then you're part of the, the issue. If you, for example, mimic the behavior of your leader with your direct reports or your colleagues, then you're not changing it. Sometimes it's hard to speak up alone, but then, well, you can speak up together with some of your, no? I remember I was working a change project with a larger, were all like C-level executives, but they fear that if they push back, their CEO would fight them. So I say, well, what if you all go together as one? He's not going to fire everyone. If you go on your own, probably <laughs> the first one to complain is going to, boom. Out of, and they did that. And they were able to basically, not as a revolt, that's not the point. They were like, hey, we all believe this is not right. We all believe we need to change this. And at some point, the, the CEO says, oh, I cannot be the only one right in the room. And he changed his mind. Okay. So it's more about changing the approach. Maybe what you're saying, you know, if you have the feeling that you can't have impact on your own, think about how you can find maybe one supporter, one ally, and then you step-by-step step, can transform the culture in your team and beyond. Absolutely. And if you cannot change the larger culture, you can change the culture at a subculture level. And other people are going to try to join your team and learn from you. So you can create a revolution from your smaller group 
regardless of your role. And that's what not only what I preach, but also what I've been seeing. And I did that in many companies. And I also lost my job once as a CEO because of speaking up. And I said, well, but it was the right thing to do. So it's easy to get your paycheck and go home when all your team is suffering because you have a bully at the top of the company. So you can, so you need to, you have a role, you get paid. So because you need to step up when the, the challenge uh, forces you to. Nice. Yeah. And and what I realized over the years in my career and also saw with some of the guests, it's the impact that you think that you really have, even though you might think, yeah, it will not change anything, but it's like the small acts of kindness that can actually turn a full team around and create a kind and caring workplace where people feel like they belong. Absolutely. And, and the small things like uh, uh, over time, basically they have a ripple effect and it's what moves the culture in the right direction. So usually people are looking for the silver bullet, the big thing to change everything, the big bang, but actually a collection of little things are what drives that uh, mindset. It, there was a, a boss I used to work with that I was trying to expand the business I was running to acquire certain companies, do emerge a lot of interesting things. And he always was kind of passively aggressive saying, or he always said, yes, I'm interested, let's do it. So he tried to kill me like a death by PowerPoint, <laughs> by a thousand <laughs> cats. So my team was, well, stop creating presentation because every time I presented something, he changed the conversation. So I had to basically find a new, and at some point I said to my team, you know what? It's either I'm going to, quit or feel defeated or I'm going to get him exhausted. So he kept changing the challenge. He kept pushing me in different directions. And at some point I was always building something new and something basically to prove him, hey, I really believe in this. And at some point he said, you know what? I give up. I mean, you, you definitely are not <laughs> going to let it go. And, and he approved it. So uh, it's not always the case, but basically my experience is we quit too easy and it's easy to blame someone else when something not happens. So if you really believe in something, are you willing to die on it? No, like metaphorically on that hill, or are you willing to take risk? Are you willing to even lose your job or not? So it's easy to say, Hey, I really want this project. It's great. But then when you get pushback, say, ah, they didn't approve it. Well, did you fight for it? Yeah, it's, I think it's also very much related to a growth mindset and blaming circumstances rather than analyzing and adapting. Oh, nice, nice to talk to you, Gustavo. I would like to switch gears a bit and go into how to build a culture in a hybrid work environment because you're the expert. You launched your book, Remote Not Distant. And I would like to know from you, of course, there was a global pandemic, so things have changed. But in the meantime, what are the latest challenges that you see in the different organizations that you're working with? Thank you. Um, first of all, I think that's important, the effect that the pandemic basically brought. No? So the pandemic wasn't a, a disruption as an interruption. It was a disruption as an acceleration. So it helped move in the right direction things that people thought it would take decades. So yeah, the happened, millennials are happy. <laughs> Not only the millennials. millennials. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see like a lot of people are happy and actually uh, older people are happy too. I think what it accelerated is first our relationship with work. So many people were craving for meaning at work 
or also to make sure, hey, I don't want to leave to work. I want to <laughs> work to leave, no? So it's different. And, uh, and that shift basically uh, put people not only in thinking, hey, I can work from home and nothing happened, but also I can work differently. And I think that many people use that uh, moment, that one year, two year, two years and a half, depending in which part of the world you are, to start reflecting and basically take some distance from basically something that we're doing like a, 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 a on on in basically automated control, no? Like basically, yeah, autopilot. We were working kind of. without thinking, no. And uh, and one thing that happens is companies didn't trust people, and no one wanted to talk about this, but there was there used to be a huge trust issue. Leaders don't trust their teams. When the pandemic came, first, on one hand, they didn't have a, a choice and people had to work remotely because of the health issues. So people not only show that they were trustworthy, but actually they show that we could work from many places, from different places, from different time zones, whatever, and still the business uh, stay alive. So nothing happened. Now that we have a, leaders have a, a, an opportunity to choose what type of workplace they want. Most leaders want people to go back into the office. Well, people want flexibility, not just flexibility in where they work from, but they want flexibility in terms of how and when they work. And this mm -hmm. is one of the most important shifts. People want to start thinking of work differently while leaders want to get back to normal. They want to get back to their normal because they want to lead by a, a, a observing people. Now, if people are close to me, if they're busy, if they're in meetings, if they stay many hours in the office, that means that they are being productive rather than focusing. Are those people pretending to work or they're actually being really productive? Yeah, absolutely. So we learned about the hybrid work environment and also the trust situation, but what can you do to create a hybrid work environment that brings out the best in employees? Because what I've seen, I've seen research that people that can work in a hybrid environment, so virtually, but also go to the office, are the happiest employees right now. So what is the, there as a leader that I can do you know, to make the hybrid work environment successful in my organization? Great question. I think that first of all, we need to agree, what do we mean by hybrid? No? Many people feel that hybrid feels like uh, all over the place. And there are many ways to do hybrid first. I think that companies jump too quick into defining, oh, we're going to do this versus trying to experiment. And most importantly, they are focusing on how many days at the office, how many days from home, and that's not hybrid. Hybrid is rethinking work in terms of what type of work do we want to do individually and together as a team, and what's the right way or best way to do it. So for example, there are the two tensions of when do we work synchronously at the same time and when do we work asynchronously? And depending on which you choose, I mean, for connecting, so creating sense of belonging, for urgent things, for a very sensitive topics, it's better that we work synchronously, either via yeah. Zoom or in the office. Now, there are many things like making decisions, writing presentations, and lots of work, even giving feedback, that you can do it at your own pace. You don't need to be interacting at the same time and not even in the same place. So people need to start identifying what are the different works and projects that each team does and when do they want to work at the same time 
either remotely or in the office, and when each team member can work at their own rhythm. So <clears throat> the keys to building a successful uh, uh, hybrid culture has to do with flexibility where people can make individual and team choices, but then there's also a lot of discipline. There's discipline into, okay, if I'm gonna start working at 7 a.m. and Kiara wants to start working at 10 a.m., well, we need to have a shared time across the team in which we are all available if there's a meeting, if there's a call, whatever. So it's not just flexibility, 100% is flexibility within certain constraints. If we're gonna be working asynchronously, we need to be very methodical in terms of how do we document everything so people can find information, they can build, they can make comments on the document and that stuff. So those two elements, flexibility and discipline that feel like contradictory together is what, it's a secret sauce to thrive in a hybrid uh, workplace. Nice. This, this reminds me of something about Taoism that I read, that in Western cultures, a lot of concepts seem like the opposite, but actually there's a lot of power in combining concepts that might look like the opposite as the first on the first glance. And what, what I really loved about what you were saying is this mindset shift because we're still stuck in, should people come in for two days a week or three days a week? But I think we need to take a step back and really think about what are the tasks where people need to be together? Do we maybe need a quarterly team offsite where we focus on idea development, innovation ideas, and then people can work during their own time, but document it and create a process that works for everyone. So I think it's really this shift that needs to happen rather than discussing about two or three days in the office per week. Absolutely. I think that many leaders are missing the transformation that this pandemic accelerated and they're focusing on very tactical executional things because once again, they're trying to recreate the nine to five. So that was every day from Monday to through Friday, nine to five. Now it's going to be, that's not how it works. They need to stop trying to tell people how to work and they need to involve people in the conversation. All the backlash that many companies like Google, Apple, Z Citibank, et cetera, got was basically because leaders at the top try to define how to work without involving people who actually do the work. And that was a huge error. And still many companies are struggling because you talk about change of mindset. That's a huge mindset, you know? letting go of control. You cannot control your culture. You need to invite people to the, the, the party to co-design the culture. In this case, if you want to thrive first, experiment rather than try to come with this is the solution, long-term solution, but also don't do it alone because that's a huge mistake and you're going to keep getting all the backlash that Tesla and all the other companies I just mentioned are getting. Yeah, definitely. And I think also the role of the leader is changing and I'm, I'm very excited to see how big organizations change and evolve in this context because most of the big employers that pre-COVID were very attractive for university graduates. Uh, some years ago, I would have loved to work at big brands and I, I work at big brands, um, but things are changing. And I have the feeling, especially for millennial Gen Z and even also all different people in the workforce, these big companies are not that attractive anymore, especially through COVID, because there is just a change that needs to happen. And when I read about Tesla, I was also like, ouch, are they serious about that? 
Yes, yeah. I mean, but but I mean, in the case of Tesla, there are many other factors. So I think that the the Elon Musk, I wasn't going to name his name, but I did. Elon Musk <laughs> like knows how to play with social media, so he likes to be controversial, so he gets the headlines. So he's going to throw whatever it takes to get that headline, even if people get crazy, because in the end he knows that controversy puts his brand and his name on the headlines. On their hand. That uh, uh, move was basically addressed like showing the manufacturing team, hey, I'm with you. You know, you're in the factory, you're building the cars. We're not going to have these marketing and sales people take it so easy. So it was a little bit of a political play that he did. But in the end, it shows that once again, he's a toxic leader, very uh, 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 like a top down. He believes that because he owns the company, because he's the leader, he can do whatever he wants. And that's a huge mistake, you know, going back to toxicity, that you're the leader doesn't allow it, doesn't give you permission to treat people like stupid or cattle or whatever word you want to use. Yeah, very interesting. But I really think also the mindset or how the workforce and people see their job has has changed. And yeah, let's see. Let's see how, how the organizations are reacting to that. So what is your top advice if I want to make hybrid work in my organization? What is like the top one or three things that I should focus on? One of the key things is acknowledge that you don't know. So most people don't know how to do it. And actually my book, after research and working with lots of clients and helping them build the, the model, it's not a, oh, this is the way to do it. It's actually a framework. And that's why I say so. Stop looking for the solution, understand what's the need. I think that you mentioned this earlier, start with the shift. If you don't understand and realize how the workplace has shifted, how people's expectations have shifted and how people want to have a different approach to work, then you're going to fail because you're going to try to put a solution that doesn't make any sense. Second is flexibility that we talked before with discipline that a paradox is critical. And the other element is involve people in the uh, process and not try to have a one-size-fits-all solution. So one single model across the organization, think about different teams, think about different areas of the company and help them build their own uh, model, but also have different experiments. So maybe what manufacturing is doing or what other people are doing can actually help you. There are many people that so, that think that, for example, manufacturing cannot be done uh, remotely, and there are many companies that are starting to experiment with that, the same with customer service, but also in manufacturing plants, they're being more flexible because they have different shifts. They already use, people don't work in a factory nine to five. Some factories operate 18, 24 hours a day, so they have different shifts. They already uh, embrace a lot of flexibility models that we can apply those to traditional uh, white collar office jobs as well. Nice. Thank you, Gustavo. So let's go a bit into culture mapping. We, we learned at the beginning that is to understand what is the current culture, how it's perceived, and you're speaking to different stakeholders. But how do you design a new culture? I think the important once you have that, it's when you map the culture, you're going to understand what's working, what's not working, what are the areas that are great, what are the areas that are more critical and take it from there. So culture design is not designing a new culture, but it's understanding what are the areas that you want to improve. So for example, you might need to rethink your purpose of your values. Many times we are, we're working with clients that need to refresh those. 
But let's, let's say that you're having issues when it comes to feedback or psychological safety. Well, you need to do interventions. You don't change low psychological safety to high psychological safety overnight. You need to start experimenting. What are the issues, no? For example, psychological safety has three levels. One level is feeling welcome. The other level, the second level is that I'm able to have courageous conversations. And the third level is I feel safe to innovate, take risks and experiment. So depending on where you are, you need to start putting practices within the company to tackle that particular thing. So once again, it's not moving the culture from A to B. It's, I always like to talk about culture evolution. When you talk about culture change, people feel defensive because the people that like the culture feel that, oh, they're going to take away that, that sense of belonging that I have with my company. But also leaders feel, oh, I need to change it overnight. I need to get results tomorrow. And that's not the way it works. No? So culture evolution is basically designing a better future, building on what on the good that already exists in the company. Things that people appreciate, the practices that are really working, and also start getting rid of the ones that are getting in the way and bring new ways of experimentation. Great. Thank you. If we look at the challenges and trends that you see with organizations. Are there main areas like maybe the top three where you see most organizations are struggling with, or is it completely, could be in any area of your culture design canvas? I think one of the first areas in which most leaders struggle is that their own perception of culture is not the culture, it's just their perception. And usually they have a more, beautify or they confuse the culture they desire with the culture they actually have. So mm -hmm. it's important to do mapping sessions with different teams so we can bring them to light and say, hey, look, there's a huge gap between what you think your culture is and what it actually is. So that's the first kind of eureka moment. Many leaders resist it and they don't even want to go through a process, but the ones who are courageous and go through it, they say, wow, there's a lot of things that I'm not aware, and that's the first kind of step. The second kind of theme that, that we see a lot is how people care about values, but they don't really care about values. You know, they just have a nice list. Values are created to look good, to make the company or the leaders look good, but then the behaviors don't align mm. with those values, or the values mean nothing. You know? They put words like collaboration, innovation. And then we ask, you ask them, what do you mean by that? Say, so, well, we need to be innovative. I say, yeah, but in what, in which way? Are you talking about disrupting the industry, coming up with new products, or is it a small day-to-day -day innovations in which people can improve the way they work? What are you looking for? I don't know, everything. I say, well, <laughs> they don't have a clue, no? So those are huge topics. And their topic is decision-making that's really, really critical most You mentioned that we help companies become more innovative and agile, and everyone wants to become agile, but they don't want to let go of decision-making power. So you cannot move fast. You cannot decentralize decision-making. The team is not going to move at the speed you expect if you don't let go of power. So you need to decentralize decision-making, give people the ability to choose their budgets, to make decisions within their budgets, to make decisions within their teams so they can move faster. If you're going to control every decision and everything needs to go to the manager or the manager's manager, then there's no agility that's going to happen. Definitely. Yeah, this brings me to the role of the leader when it comes to driving culture. Did this role evolve since the pandemic? And what is your advice as a leader, which skills to train to cater for the new needs of a modern organization and the culture evolution? 
that your organization might need? Absolutely. Um, there are three roles that leaders play. One is define the culture, then demonstrate it, and then demand. So when we talk about define, it's defining what's the culture that we want to do. So officialize after you, mm -hmm. they work with people, let's say that they work with their teams to define what type of hybrid culture they want, what's their approach to hybrid work, they need to make sure that they define and say, hey, this is it, they make it official. The second step, which is even more critical, it's demonstrated. So the leader's behaviors need to bring to life, the, no? So if I, hey, hey, you have flexibility, but the leader is gonna spend all days in the office because it's more comfortable, then people feel, oh, it's not okay to work remotely because the leader is always there in his or her office. Um, and then we have the role of demand, which is set up clear expectations so people know what's okay and what's not okay, what's expected of me and from me as an employee, what are the things that you're going to reward if I do and what I'm going to get into trouble or punish if I do or stop doing something else. In terms of how that role changed or basically accelerated because of the pandemic, it's now leaders need to realize that the role of culture is more like a curator. Rather than trying to be this heroic leader that makes all the decisions, they need to set up the, the, the context, no? Tony Heiss, who used to be the, he died a couple of years ago, he was the founder and CEO of Zappos. He said that his role was basically to build like the garden set up the garden, make sure the soil was fertile, bring the right seeds, but then let the plants grow and live on their own. No? So I think that's a great analogy of a, a leader as a curator. You define what type of garden you want to build, but then you let the plants do their work. Yeah, I like that. I once had a leader on my team who said his role is the gardener. And mm -hmm. yeah, so he was ahead of his time because it was pre-pandemic at that time. Nice. Gustavo, you might know that I like to ask all my guests the same question at the end because change comes from taking action. And also I want to know from you, what is your greatest piece of advice or learning that you can share with our listeners that they can practice straight away? Like a quote, practice, the secret sauce that helped you to become a better version of yourself and also increase your impact. For me, the, there are two things. One is consistency and the other one that got together it's a from thought to action so mm. i would say just do it feels but it's basically when you're thinking about hey what if i do this change the what if i'm gonna do it so many times i say well i have an idea well write it and put it in front of people uh, and for example many of the models I created or the articles I write started like a thought. So basically when I started having the thought, I put it on social media or somewhere and then people react. And I, I'm not looking for approval or rejection because that's something that we need to avoid. You know, like use feed, feedback is not about yes or not. Feedback is about helping you reflect. It's like a mirror that, you no. Know? So when I put my ideas in front of people and start listening to how they react, then that helped me process it. And maybe I say, mm, this is going nowhere. And I say, oh, wow, I see the potential. And then I take it somewhere else. And consistency is like, you need to build like a, like a sequence. Okay, if you want to write, you need to write every week. If you want to call new clients, you need to call new clients every week. So you need to build a model for whatever you're pursuing and be consistent. And forget about the results. Don't get... A, a, 
caught into, hey, I'm doing this and no one's getting back to me. No one's reading my pieces. Every time you write, no one's going to read until you publish 10, 20. Then after you have 50 articles, that's when you get started in a huge base of readers. So the consistency showing up is going to pay dividends. So don't look for the quick win. Nice. Yeah, that's how you become an expert. And I can definitely see from the number of your articles that you have practiced your writing. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Nice. Thank you, Gustavo, for being here. Do you have one last summary or sentence, something that you want to share with us? No, I think that uh, uh, work shouldn't feel like work. We should enjoy what we do because it's a, but it's past, part of our passion. Part of for me, many years ago, I removed the work-life balance. I think that's a stupid concept because it forces us to draw a line versus trying to connect. We are the same person, so I'm the same person when I'm a parent, when I'm biking with my wife, when I'm cooking, which I love, or writing or doing projects with clients. When you bring all your parts or your roles together, not only you're going to start fighting to create a line, but also each role. So for example, things I learned raising my kids or fighting my kids, I apply to leadership and the other way around. So you can connect all the different pieces, all your different uses and, and, and enjoy it. So stop thinking about work as work. Work is part of who you are and also make it meaningful, make it valuable and be generous. Now that's my part. Very inspiring. Thank you so much, Gustavo. Thank you, Kiara. It's been an honor and I hope people enjoy our conversation and I love your show. I love all your questions and good luck with, good luck with all your new episodes. Thank you. MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Don't forget to dream big and have impact. It's a journey. If you like my work, you can leave me a good rating and share this episode with friends and colleagues or whoever would benefit from this MindSpark. And follow MindSpark on Instagram under mindspark.academy. Take care and see you for the next episode.